0: If you have your copy of God's Word, I want to encourage you to turn with me in your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 8 this morning. America calls itself the land of the free. We pride ourselves in the fact that we live in a free nation. And and many of us, most of us, will do anything and everything to protect that freedom. But what does it mean to be free? Does it mean that I can do anything and everything that I want? Does it mean that there are no limits? Does it mean that I get to set my own laws? Does my freedom give me the right to go into your home and take your things and claim them as my own? Does my freedom give me the right to come up to you and punch you if I don't like the way you look? Does my freedom give me the right to come up to your spouse and claim her as my spouse if I decide that I would like her? I think we all recognize that our freedoms have limits. This morning... I want us to deal with the issue of freedom in the Christian life. Because as we look at the church in Corinth, we discover that this was one of the main things that they were dealing with. And to be honest, it is one of the main things that Christians deal with today. I am afraid that that many of us, many Christians today, misunderstand what it means to be free in Christ. You see, some Christians assume that since Christ has set us free, there are no limits to what we can do. And we have this anything-goes mentality. But understand, freedom is never unlimited. Freedom is never unlimited. Now, a couple of weeks ago, as we were looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 6... We came across a phrase that, that many in the church at Corinth had adopted. They they had come to believe this. And that phrase was, everything is permissible. They had come to the point in their, their lives as believers because they misunderstood what Paul had said, that they believed that anything and everything was permissible for them as a Christian. But hear me, freedom is never unlimited. Freedom always has boundaries. Freedom always has limits, it always has, and it always will. When God created the first man and and placed him in this perfect garden paradise called Eden, God spoke to the man. And I want you to listen to what he said in Genesis chapter 2. Beginning in verse 16, God says this, And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat, you will surely die. You see, the Bible teaches that God created Adam with freedom. But notice, there are three things that accompanied Adam's freedom. First of all, there was a respect for God's word. Uh, Notice how this passage begins. And the Lord God Commanded. You see, freedom can only be experienced when we are living according to God's Word. Anything else isn't freedom. It's bondage. It's slavery. And so freedom always carries with it a respect for God's Word. Notice the second thing in Genesis 2. Adam's responsibility, a responsibility to stay within the boundaries outlined in God's Word. God said this, you are free to eat from every tree in the garden except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. You see, there were boundaries in place even within Adam's freedom. God always establishes boundaries. But you need to understand that that when God establishes boundaries in our life, these boundaries aren't meant to enslave us. These boundaries are meant to protect us. But finally, notice a third thing, and, and that is the consequences for crossing the boundaries. God said, if you do eat from the one tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil that I tell you not to eat from, you will die you see our freedom is always accompanied not only by responsibility but with consequences our freedom always carries with it responsibility and it always carries with it consequences you free see our freedom is never an excuse for sin it never has been now let me remind you of of what I said two weeks ago as we were looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We we talked about that great truth that the Corinthian believers had misunderstood. You see, the great truth of the Christian faith is not that our salvation makes us free to sin, but rather our salvation makes us free from sin. Let me say that again. Our salvation in Christ was never intended to make us free so that we can sin. Our salvation was always intended by God to make us free so that we did not have to sin. Now, I know you've turned with me to 1 Corinthians 8, but I want you to hold your place there and turn with me to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. And I want you to listen To what Paul says to the church at Rome. And they were dealing with the same issue. And this is what Paul said. He said, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that God's grace may increase? By no means. We have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? You see, many Christians today are confused when it comes to the purpose of our salvation. You see, our salvation isn't to save us from hell. Our salvation is to save us from sin. Our salvation was never intended to free us from hell. That is a byproduct. Our salvation is intended to set us free from sin. That's the truth of God's Word. You see, Jesus died to set us free from sin. Now, He begins... By setting us free from the penalty of sin. We call that the doctrine of justification. You see, the Bible teaches that that all of us, every man, every woman, every boy, and every girl is a sinner. We have rebelled against Almighty God. That's what sin is. Rebelling against God. Rebelling against God's right, His authority in your life. And the consequences of sin, the penalty for sin, is death. Not just physical death, but eternal death, separation from God in a place called hell. But Jesus, who never sinned, Jesus, who was without sin, took our place on the cross. He died for our sin, paying the penalty for our sin. And the Bible says, anyone who believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. That's justification. Jesus died on the cross in our place to set us free from the penalty of sin. We do not have to fear the second death, eternal death. The doctrine of justification. Jesus saves us from the penalty of sin. But Jesus also saves us from the power of, of sin, this is called the doctrine of sanctification. Listen to what it says in Romans six verse six. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. You see, the Bible teaches that, that before you were saved, you were a slave to sin. Sin controlled you. Sin defined you. You were a sinner. But when Jesus saved you, he gave you a new identity. He gave you a new nature. You are no longer known as a sinner. You are now long known as a saint. The Spirit of God lives in you. And because His Spirit lives in you, sin no longer has to control you. Now listen, that doesn't mean that you will never sin. That doesn't mean that you will never blow it. But what it does mean is that God's Spirit is living in you. And because His Spirit is living in you, you have the ability to resist sin. You have the ability to turn from sin. You see, the power of sin that once reigned in your life no longer reigns because you have a new master, Jesus Christ. That's sanctification. But that's not all. Because, you see, the Bible teaches that we are not only saved from the penalty of sin, free from the penalty of sin... We are not only saved, free from the power of sin. The Bible says one day, praise God, we will be saved. We will be free from the very presence of sin. And the Bible calls that glorification. There is coming a day when everything that is associated with Satan and sin will be done away with. And you and I will no longer have to struggle with sin anymore. I am convinced with all my heart that every true believer is looking forward to that day. The day when all the vestiges of sin, the day when all the temptation to sin, the day when all the struggles that we have with sin will be gone forever. You see, Jesus didn't die to set us free to sin. Jesus died to set us free from sin. And sometimes, many times, it's easy to see sin and it's easy to avoid sin. You you see, right outside my neighborhood, there's a pothole. And it's a big pothole. And there were a couple of times that I didn't see the pothole. And when I hit that pothole, I knew it. But once I hit it once, once I hit it twice, I started watching. And now and every time I leave my neighborhood, I look and I see that gigantic sinkhole pothole. And now I know how to avoid that pothole. Because I see it clearly. You see, when we see something clearly, it's easy to avoid, it. And there are things in God's word that are clearly seen as sin, aren't there? And because they are clearly seen as sin, through the power of God's Holy Spirit, if it is our desire, we can avoid it. We can't stay away from it. We can't run from it. But listen, there are other times when the Bible doesn't speak specifically to an issue. And so when the Bible doesn't speak specifically to an issue, what are we to do? Because the truth of the matter is, everything in life is not black or white, right or wrong. The truth of the matter is, and some of us don't like this, but the truth of the matter is, there are a lot of shades of gray out there. And there are a lot of things out there that are neither right nor nor wrong, they're morally neutral. And yet, sometimes those things may be wrong for us to do, At other times they may be right for us to do. And so how do we decide what we are to do? Now, listen very carefully. When the Bible has spoken clearly on a subject, that settles it. You don't need to study it. You don't need to debate it. You need to obey it. I mean, for instance, the Bible says that sex is for marriage between a man and a woman, period. There are no commas, there are no colons, there are no apostrophes, there's nothing. There is a period. Sex is for a man and a woman who are married to one another. And we know that any sex apart from that, is sin. We don't need to debate it. We don't need to discuss it. We don't need to research it. We don't need to listen to what the pundits say or what the experts say because God has already said, amen? And when God speaks to an issue, that settles the issue. But then there are those issues that Paul calls in Romans 14, disputable matters. Disputable matters. Now, they're disputable matters because good people dispute about those matters. And in Paul's day, there were a number of disputable matters. And, and in our day, there are a number of disputable matters. Now, in Paul's day, one of the big disputable matters that he had to deal with was meat that had been sacrificed and offered as an offering to To idols in a pagan temple. And this was a disputable matter. There were some believers that say under no circumstances should you ever eat meat that has been offered to an idol in a pagan temple. Under no circumstances. And there were other believers that said there are no gods in that pagan temple. There's nothing there. Therefore, there is nothing wrong with, with buying that meat and eating that meat that has been offered to that idol because that idol is nothing. That idol is powerless. And so there were believers who were arguing and bickering and disagreeing on these issues, these disputable issues. I want you to listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning in verse 4. If you have your Bible still open, I hope you do. Listen to what it says, beginning in verse 4. So then, about eating food sacrificed to idols. We know that an idol is nothing at all in the world, and and there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods, as many lords... Yet for us there is but one God, the Father from whom all things come and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. But not everyone knows this. Some people are still accustomed to idols that that when they eat such food, meat that has been offered to idols, they think of it as having been sacrificed to an idol. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat it and no better if we do. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your freedom does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone with a weak conscience sees you who have this knowledge eating an idol's temple, won't he be emboldened to eat what has been sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against your brothers in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause him to fall. So Paul is dealing with this issue of of meat that has been sacrificed to idols and and whether you can eat it or not and. And as he goes through this, really in in chapter 6 through chapter 10, Paul gives us five questions that we can ask. And if we ask these questions, every time we come to these disputable matters in life, we can make wise decisions. Because understand, the issue isn't always whether something is permissible. And I'm afraid that's what we oftentimes ask, isn't it? Is it permissible? And that's the wrong question to ask. So let me give you five questions. The first question I need to ask before I ever do anything is this. Is what I'm about to do helpful? Listen to what it says in chapter 10, verse 23. Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible. But not everything is constructive. Now let me remind you again of the quotation marks around that phrase, everything is permissible. Paul is simply quoting a saying that was going around in the church at Corinth. Everything is permissible, everything is lawful, we can do everything we want. And yet Paul is saying that whether it is permissible or not is not the question we need to ask. What we need to ask is, is what I am about to do or is what I am thinking about doing, is it helpful? Is it beneficial? Is it constructive? Is it helping me become the man or the woman that God wants me to be? You see, the truth of the matter is, God has a plan for each and every one of our lives. He made you with a purpose in mind. You aren't an accident. You aren't a a product of chance. God has a plan. God has a purpose for your life. Now the truth is, God has a specific plan for each and every one of you. And God has a general plan for each and every one of us. Now I cannot tell you what God's specific plan is for your life. If, If you... Spent some time with me and, and I found out your gifts and your abilities and your heart's desire and, and things like that. I could probably help you determine what it is that God has specifically created you to do. But understand, each of us have a different specific plan, a, a different specific purpose. But God has given each of us the same general plan. In Romans chapter 8, verse 29, it says this. For from the very beginning, God decided that those who came to him, and all along he knew who would, should become like his son. And so God said that from the very beginning of time, God's plan is that you and I, who became a part of his family, would become like Jesus. We would become Christ-like. And so that's God's plan for your life. God's plan is that you begin to live your life in a Christ-like manner. You live like Jesus would live if Jesus were here. Then you say, I'm not Jesus. And you got that right. You're not Jesus and I'm not Jesus. But God's plan, God's desire is that each and every one of us become like Jesus. We become Christ-like. And so before we do anything, before we do everything, we should ask ourselves, is this going to make me more like Jesus? Is this going to develop godliness and Christ-likeness in my life? And let me just say to you, if what you were about to do, what you were about to watch... Where you are about to go is not going to help develop Christ likeness in your life, then why do you want to do it? Because if God's plan, God's desire is that you become like Jesus, that's what God created you for, then why would you waste your time pouring things into your life that are not going to make you like Him? Okay? So the first question is, is it helpful? Is it constructive? Is it going to help me become like Jesus? Here's the second question. Does it enslave? Now, in chapter 6, verse 12, we we talked about this briefly a couple of weeks ago. But but Paul said, everything is permissible for me. Again, he's he's quoting that phrase. But then Paul says, but I will not be mastered by anything. Now, this has to do with control. Who? Who? Or what is controlling my life? This is literally saying I will not be brought under the power or be controlled by anything. I should always ask myself if what I am doing is developing a habit that is going to control my life. Now there are many things that can control our life. Smoking, drinking, gambling. Or even TV, or texting, or, or gaming, or being online, or, or listen, even working out. All of these things can control you. Now, I know, I know that, that all of you would like for me to tell you that it is a sin to smoke, or it is a sin to drink, or it is a sin to gamble. But you see, the issue isn't right or wrong on a number of issues. The issue is, are these things controlling my life? There are some things that create a physical addiction. There are other things that create a psychological addiction. And there are other things that create an emotional addiction. And to be honest with you, you and I can be controlled by pretty much anything. Someone said this, addiction is simply misplaced worship which leads to idolatry. Addiction is simply misplaced worship that leads to idolatry. And misplaced worship is enslavement to anything other than Christ. I want you to look at two passages in, the, in the, God's Word. Matthew 6, verse 24. You've got this one. It says this. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money, mammon, this world. You cannot serve God and any other thing. You've got to make a choice. Am I going to serve God or am I going to serve something else? In Romans chapter 6 beginning in verse 12, Paul said this. He said, do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead, but now you have a new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master. For you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Well then... Since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean that we can go on sinning? Of course not. Don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can be a slave to God, which leads to righteous living. Thank God. Once you were slaves to sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching which we have given you. Now you are free from the slavery to sin, and you have become slaves to righteous living. I love that. Bob Dylan, that great theologian of the past said, you're going to have to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. And Bob Dylan missed it on a lot of things. But let me tell you, he got it right there, didn't he? Because each and every one of us are going to have to serve somebody. And so the Bible teaches us that we shouldn't be in bondage to anything or anyone other than Jesus Christ. And let me just say to you that we're not just talking about sinful things because anything can become an idol in your life. Jesus needs to occupy first place. Jesus is the only one that should have control of your life. Is this enslaving me? The third question, will it hinder another believer? Is what I'm about to do going to hinder another believer. In chapter 8, verse 9, Paul said this. He said, Be careful, however, that the exercise of your freedom does not become a stumbling block to the weak. Romans 14, verse 13 says, Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. You see, as Christians, it's not our job The Bible teaches to go around judging others. It's our job to judge ourselves and make sure that we are living the way God wants us to live. And to make sure, hear me, that we are not causing anyone else to stumble. Now, a stumbling block is something that, that causes someone else to fall. It causes someone else to fall and hurt themselves. An obstacle Is even worse than that. Someone interpreted an obstacle as a death trap. Paul is saying this. He is saying, if my choices, even though there may not be anything sinful in my choices, if my choices are causing someone else to stumble and sin, I should love that person enough to restrict my own freedom for their sake. Now, that's not a very popular view in today's self-absorbed world and in our meat-first society, but that's biblical. You see, the Bible teaches that if I continue to indulge a certain freedom that causes another believer to stumble, then I have sinned. Did you hear me? The thing that I am doing may not necessarily be wrong but if in my continuing to do it i am causing someone else to stumble in sin then it becomes sin for me you see the question is not simply will this hurt me but i've got to ask will it hurt someone else We need to stop thinking about just ourselves and we need to start thinking about other brothers and sisters in Christ. So so will this hinder another believer? The fourth question is this. Am I doing this to bring glory to God? Listen to what Paul said in chapter 10, verse 31. He says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And so the question I need to ask is this. Does what I am doing bring glory to God? And if it doesn't bring glory to God, then I have no business doing it. If we can't say, Jesus, I am doing this for your glory, then we shouldn't do it. Now, some of you are going, man, Rocky, that really limits what I'm doing. It shouldn't because what Paul is saying is whatever you do, You should be able to say, as a Christ follower, I am doing this for the glory of God. And if what I am doing does not bring glory to His name, then I should not do it. John Piper said this If God made us for His glory, it is clear that we should live for His glory. Our duty comes from God's design, it does not mean to make Him glorious because He is glorious. It means to acknowledge His glory, to value it above all things, and to make it known. And so I come to the point in my life where I value the glory of God more than I value anything else. And so I always should ask, and what I am about to do, will it bring glory to God? But there's one final question we as Christ followers should ask before we... We make any decision and that's this. Will what I'm going to do lead people to salvation? Listen to what Paul said in verses 32 and 33 of chapter 10. So do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews or Greeks or the church of God. Even as I try to please everybody in every way. For I'm not seeking my own good, but the good of many. And then notice what he says. So that they may be saved. You see, ultimately, once we are saved, we are here on planet Earth for one purpose, and that's to point other people to Jesus, to lead other people to salvation. That's why we're here. Understand, God didn't save you and leave you here in a sinful world to get tangled up and caught up in a sinful world when we've got glory to look forward to. God's got something far better than anything here waiting for us. And you need to understand that. There is nothing down here that compares to what God has waiting for us in eternity. And so why does God leave us here? God leaves us here once we are saved so that we can lead other people to salvation. And so we should always ask, Is what I am going to do, going to point people to Jesus or hinder people's walk with Jesus? Now some of you are saying, Rocky, what about some issues? Talk to me about some specifics. And to be honest with you, I don't want to do that. Because I believe the Holy Spirit of God needs to do that in your life. But I will talk to you about one specific. And understand, I am putting my neck on the line as I talk about this specific. Because this specific is an elephant in the room, especially in circles like ours. And that's the issue of drinking. Drinking is one of those disputable matters. And why do I say it's a disputable matter? Because Christians who love Jesus and believe the Bible disagree on the issue of social drinking. Not on drunkenness. Drunkenness is clearly a sin. And drunkenness is being controlled by the alcohol. It doesn't mean that you're stumbling in an alley somewhere. It means that the alcohol is controlling your decisions. It is hindering your decisions. And when alcohol hinders your decision making, you are controlled. And I believe according to God's word, you're drunk. But when it comes to drinking a glass of wine, drinking a a can of beer, the Bible doesn't give a clear word. Jesus turned the water in the wine, and we can say that it was a different wine, but, but I want you to know that Bible scholars disagree on some of those things. And because Bible scholars who know the Word of God disagree, and I can tell you, I try, I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish that I could stand up here and tell you drinking is a sin. I really do wish I could. But I can't tell you that. Because the Bible isn't clear. On that. And so, when it comes to drinking, what should we do? Well, I can only tell you what I've done. I don't drink, I stay away from it. Not because it is a sin, but because as I ask myself those questions, it's not the right thing to do. First of all, is drinking alcohol going to help me become more like Christ? I could say that he turned the water into wine, but it doesn't say Jesus began to drink it. And there's a lot of debate on the potency of that wine. And so is it helpful? Is it going to help me become Christ-like? It's not. It's not. I need to learn to depend on Christ and not a glass of wine to, to ease the stress in my life. Second, will it enslave me? I've got an addictive personality. I'm just being honest with you. Man, I can get addicted to anything. I can get addicted to a TV show. I can get addicted to working out. I can get addicted to, to all kinds of things. And so for me, I know that if I open myself up to alcohol, I may have a tendency to become addicted and that will be a sin. Third, will it hinder another believer? Absolutely, it will. Because this is one of those disputable issues. And so, let me tell you, regardless of who you are, you need to be careful. Regardless of what God lays on your heart on this issue, you need to be careful how you use your freedom so that you don't use your freedom in a way that is going to cause another brother to stumble. Fourth, am I doing it for God's glory or for me personally for me personally, drinking a glass of wine or drinking a bottle of beer or a can of beer, I wouldn't be doing that for God's glory. I, I wouldn't. Maybe you can, but I wouldn't. Is it going to lead other people to salvation? I've never led a person to faith in Jesus sitting around drinking a beer with them. It just hadn't happened. Then you see, for me, as I ask the questions of life... I can just ask those five questions and I can determine, is this something that I need to do or is this something I need to stay away from? Now, at the same time, understand, if I see you with a glass of wine, I'm not going to run up to your table at the restaurant and go, Pagan! Heathen! You're going to hell! Because if I do that, I believe that I've stepped across the bounds of God's word. And I don't need to play Holy Spirit for you. The Holy Spirit needs to be the Holy Spirit for you. And so if you're drinking a glass of wine, I'm going to come up to you and I'm going to talk to you. and, And if it makes you feel a little uneasy, then maybe, just maybe, maybe you need to question whether you should be doing it. If the pastor seeing you do it, it makes you feel a little uneasy. You see, these are disputable issues. And there are all kinds of disputable issues out there. Buying a lottery ticket. Is buying a lottery ticket sin? Baptists would like to say it is. I can't see in the Word of God why it is. But I don't buy lottery tickets. There are a lot of disputable issues out there that we as believers... Should recognize we may be free to do, but perhaps we need to control our freedom for the glory of God, for the benefit of ourselves and others, to keep ourselves from being enslaved, and to lead other people to Jesus. I want you to bow your head with me. With your head bowed and with your eyes closed, the first thing I want to ask you is this Who's your master? Because that's the bottom line. That's the most important question here today. Who is your master? Have you given control of your life to the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you turned from sin and your rule to Jesus and His rule? If you're here and you haven't done that, I want to encourage you this morning to quit rebelling, Quit running and give your life to the one who created you and loves you so much that he died for you. Give your life to Jesus and do it today. Second, if you're here and... You're struggling with some issues in your life. There are some things that have control on you. Understand, God doesn't want you to be under the control of anything other than Him. And so I want to encourage you today to reject those things, those idols that you may be addicted to. And let the body of Christ help you have victory. And then third, if you're a believer, when it comes to these disputable issues, these these gray areas, make a commitment today not to necessarily choose one way or the other, but make a commitment today that before you engage your freedom to ask yourself those five questions. Father God, for those here who need you today, I pray that they will turn from sin and trust you. For those who are in bondage, set them free. Father, for those believers who desire to use their freedom in a way that honors your name, give them the victory.